Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Luke. We're in chapter 23 today, beginning in verse 39. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Amen. You may be seated. So we, uh, we are in a, a series within a series, kind of. So we've been looking through the book of Luke. Um, and now within the book of Luke, as we kind of approach Easter, uh, we're going to be spending three weeks, last week being the first, uh, looking at the crucifixion of Jesus. Um, and so as we do that, we are just looking at his words, um, not just, but we are specifically looking at kind of his words and uh, what's behind them uh, during his, his time on the cross. Um, before we start, I want to mention uh, every first Sunday of the month, we try to do a, a starting point meeting, which is just an opportunity after our service to meet um, uh, myself, leaders, whatever, talk with us, ask us questions, discuss the church, anything like that. So if that's you, you want to know more about the church, talk with us about it, uh, feel free to join me over in this room after service, just about five-ish minutes after we conclude our final song and reading, um, and we'll just be in there for a few minutes. It's not a long meeting. So just want to open that up to you if you have any desire at all to uh, ask questions or engage or just want to be there, available for that. Um, I also want to issue an apology. If you follow me at all on social media, uh, the next two months will be full of nothing but the hockey playoffs. So, um, uh, sorry, not sorry. It is the greatest um, set of sports games uh, on the planet. Uh, and I know there was like a basketball game last night or something. I don't know. Whatever. It was the last game of the hockey season, so I was like, oh, yeah, there's basketball, too. Whatever. Um, sorry if that offends you, but hockey's amazing. So uh, the Lightning are in. Uh, they're number one seed. They'll be uh, home ice advantage all the way until they win the Stanley Cup. So um, just exciting, exciting times for Tampa Bay. Um, and you can get a pre-release of the Tampa Bay Times 160-page photography-filled uh, coffee table book on this record-setting season for the Tampa Bay Lightning. So $10 off on the website now. Not on our website, but Tampa Bay Times. So uh, go pre-order that sucker because, yeah, I'm talking about pre-city group discussion time. That's going to be solid. No, they're not paying me. Looking for sponsorships, though, uh, on our podcast. You'll soon hear me. Uh, this podcast is brought to you by the Tampa Bay Times, covering lightning. Uh, let's read this again because we need help to get back into it. So we're looking at these, uh, these sayings of Jesus on the cross. Last week we looked at kind of the beginning. Simon the Cyrene carries the cross in uh, for Jesus. The soldiers are torturing him. Uh, Jesus speaks to some women on his way to Golgotha um, to assure them that worse things are coming. Um, and to give them some, uh, some hope of peace uh, in, in a strange way. Uh, and then we see Jesus pray to the Father while being killed for his murderers, right? So that's what we talked about last week. Jesus, in the middle of being murdered, praying for his murderers. Um, and it dawned on me later uh, this week, or during this week while I was studying some more stuff, that became a pattern for Jesus' followers, too. We see it in the first story of the first martyr post-Jesus, which is a guy named Stephen. 
he has that same kind of attitude. Uh, we see it in, the, in the, all of the teachings of Paul as he speaks about his sufferings. He has that same attitude. It's just amazing. The gospel of Jesus, when permeating the heart of mankind, leads to a desire for other people to be forgiven no matter what they're doing, right? Because of the understanding that they've been forgiven so deeply. And I think that's what our passage this day is about, is just the, the depth of the forgiveness, uh, the unmerited grace of God that's given to criminals. Sorry, I didn't mean to call you a criminal. But that's what we have today. So here we go, Luke 23, 39 and following. It says, one of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? Are we in, and we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Let's pray and we'll jump into this. Father, thank you for this beautiful opportunity uh, to gather, uh, not just with brothers and sisters um, not just to uh, participate in this act of grace um, that you've given us within the church, but to, to, to sit under you, uh, to sit under your living word, um, to sit under the very words of Jesus today, uh, and to uh, perceive their impact on the heart of a criminal. Um, this story is filled with basically two opposites, and the way that they interact with you, Jesus. And so I pray, God, that you would uh, convict us and show us and, and draw us to realize the times when we are more like the one criminal than the other, uh, and that through that realization and the, the, the glorious grace that Jesus is ready to offer, that we would move uh, at least an inch closer to being like um, the criminal who saw this moment rightly. Um, we are prone to forget. Uh, we've heard a false gospel or many false gospels all week long. Um, it's quite possible that just like me, there is another false gospel still before me in this very moment. And so God, please, would you uh, rescue us from lies and pull us into the truth? Help us just to really grasp that we are not meriting anything for ourselves either in this moment or at any moment in this past week or in any moment of our life to come. But that all merit for any entrance into the paradise of God is solely on the shoulders of Jesus Christ. This is a glorious reality that we need to realize. So please pull us into that place, we ask. May we see Jesus very clearly this morning. May our hearts be brought to faith and to confess him as worthy in Christ's name. Amen. Um, I want to get uh, even more, before we dive into this interaction with the criminals, I want to get even more into um, just the significance, especially prophetic, of all of these small little things that Jesus is experiencing on the cross. So, 
in your Bible or in your phone app, go to Psalm 22 with me. We'll have these words on the screen as well. But I just want to read Psalm 22, 1 through 21. And I'm going to read them right now without saying anything to not ruin it. Listen to these words that David wrote a thousand years before Christ. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry day, I cry by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Yet, you are holy enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man. Scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads he trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me to trust you at my mother's breasts. On you was I cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me. Like a ravening and roaring lion, I am poured out like water. And all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, be not far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword and my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. One thousand years before Jesus was alive, David wrote those words. This moment on the cross was not a sign that God has lost it. This moment on the cross was not evidence that the control had shifted from the hands of Almighty God into the hands of a, of a defiling, evil Satan. These moments on the cross are not evidence of God's inability and impotence to, to save. This, this is a predicted, a prophesied, a planned, and a perfectly executed moment. Can see all my bones. They pierced my hands and feet. People are mocking me. Where are you, God? Eloi, Eloi, Lama Sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Just every bit of it foretold a thousand years ahead. Right? And in this moment, Jesus is not saying anything that he is saying because he thinks that anything is out of control. He is saying everything that he is saying to further reveal the greater purpose of this entire 
process that had been planned from the beginning of time, that the Lamb of God should be slain as was determined from the foundations of the earth. And so this psalm and then these events, they give us confidence to know that God here was not losing his grip on Jesus, right? It brings us assurance that this was all according to the foreknowledge and the plan of God. And what it also does is it helps pull us away from the distraction of, oh my God, what's going on? To calmly look in to the heart of Jesus and to say he knew it was coming. Yes, he asked God to let the cup pass, but he said your will be done. He walked into it with eyes wide open. What was going on inside of him when that was happening? Right? That's what we've been trying to get into as we look at these words of Jesus. And so here he is wounded and pierced. Like the psalm said a thousand years prior, he's surrounded, he's abandoned, he's despised, and he's mocked. And look at what he's still doing. He is still bringing good news to undeserved people. This is glorious. He is still bringing good news to undeserved people. And one of the worst people in the book of Luke. A very, very, very bad man. (laughs) One of the worst guys in the whole book. Jason poignantly pointed out to us how bad a dude Zacchaeus was. This guy was worse. He's so bad, he deserves to die on a cross. He deserves it. He himself confesses, I deserve this. Right? Death row inmate, not fighting back. Making no appeals. Ah, uh-uh, wait, wait, wait. Nah, not a one. I deserve this. He is a very, very bad man. In fact, Matthew and John use a different word for this criminal. They call him a robber. They call these two guys a robber. And we know a little bit about robbers from several weeks ago. I don't know if you'll remember this or not, but in the book or in the story of the Good Samaritan, Jesus in Luke 10:30, he says, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. So Jesus tells an imaginary story, and in his imaginary story, he uses the word robber, and he says, This is the conduct of a robber. And and he ends up dying next to two robbers. The kind of person who beats somebody, who steals everything they have, and who leaves them half dead. I don't know if that's cup half full or cup half empty, but it's bad, right? Half dead. This is the kind of man, the kind of men that are on the cross, the cross says, next to Jesus. These robbers were probably very likely associated with another robber that we were told about just before the crucifixion. That robber has a really famous name, Barabbas, Bar Abba, Barabbas. Pilate, who knows Jesus is innocent, and Barabbas is about the worst man in the city under a sentence of death, he wants to get Jesus free because he thinks Jesus is innocent after his several conversations with the man. And so he puts a sure bet up before the people. Barabbas, a robber, an insurrectionist, a murderer. He puts Barabbas before the people, and he's like, I mean, who do you want free? Which guy would you rather have running around free to do whatever he wants? Barabbas 
or Jesus. You choose. And they're like, robber, robber, robber. Right? They say, let the killer loose. And Jesus takes Barabbas' place at the middle cross. Should have been three robbers, three insurrectionists, three murderers. Instead, it's two and the innocent Christ. Okay? These are very, very, very bad men. What I'm trying to help us understand this morning is that this is about the worst possible guy that Jesus can have a conversation with. The worst. And we notice also that Jesus says nothing about his innocence. Jesus doesn't sit here trying to explain, nah, it's not really that bad. Doesn't say a word about it. Doesn't stop him when the guy says, I deserve this. No, no, no. Don't be so hard on yourself, honey. Whatever they're saying, it's just not true. Your truth is your truth. Just shh, don't worry. It, that's not the basis of Jesus' promise to this man at all. This is a very, very, very bad man. All right? And the three points of the message today is that he is a very, very bad man, but he's promised a very, very, very good thing. And that promise is based completely and only on grace. Okay? And so this very, very, very bad man gets a promise that doesn't seem apropos to his crime. Luke 23, 43, this is the words of Jesus. He said to him, truly, I say to you, today, you will be with me in paradise. Right? And there's two things I think that are absolutely staggering about this promise. The first is paradise and the second is with me, right? So paradise is a paradiso, is a, is a, a, a word that would have been the same word translated for Eden. Okay, so if we were reading the Greek Septuagint that had the Old Testament in Greek and the New Testament in Greek, uh, we would have been reading that word. We would have, we'd be making the very close association that Jesus is promising this man Eden. He's promising this criminal Eden which is just a sign of the best and the greatest and the purest and the holiest and the most divine possible dwelling place we could ever imagine. A dwelling place that was not just by itself paradise, right, but that was a place marked with the walking, talking, closely associated presence of the creator of paradise. That's how we need to understand paradise. And that's why the paradise is great, but the with you is greater. Because Jesus says to a criminal, you'll be with me. Right? And almost every other promise in the New Testament, there's actually not a lot, that talk to us about what will happen after we die, we see the with me more than the paradise. Okay? We don't have a whole lot of definition for what most of us imagine as heaven after we die. Actually, the biblical evidence is that heaven eventually comes to earth, and that's the final end of everything. We don't go to heaven. Like, 
that idea is actually not in the Bible. But the idea of immediately following death, the believer is with Jesus, is affirmed again and again by Jesus here, by Paul as well, and by Peter. It's a repeated theme. John says it too. With him. Right? And like, I remember when my, my dad passed away, right? And people come with really helpful, soothing words. And many, many, many of them said things like, you know, your, your father's with his parents now and his, his aunts and uncles who have gone before him. You know, can't, can't you just see the great heavenly reunion? And I, I really appreciated those words, right? And I'm not throwing anyone under any buses. Those, those are necessary and helpful words during that time. To try to imagine and to think there is so much peace now in my dad's life, right? That, that that is so true. And to try to offer that to someone is, is genuine and a beautiful thing. But where I found myself time and time and time again was looking to the words of Paul. In two places, in Philippians 1.23, he says that to depart means to be with Christ. And Paul calls that far better. He says it's far better to be out of the flesh and to be with Jesus, right? And these the exact words from the mouth of God confirming to me, not so much so that my dad is happy with the people he's with, but that my dad finally is with Jesus, that he is truly in a place of great peace. 2 Corinthians 5, Paul nails this, verses 1 through 10. He says, for we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. All sorts of imagery here. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight. We can't see Him. We can't truly touch Him. Yes, we are of good courage. And we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our claim, our aim to please him. For we, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. If you imagine the promise to this criminal, the promise to you, and you picture the greatest possible part of that promise has to do something with a home or something with a relationship or something with fishing or surfing or golfing or whatever. If that's the, like the height of your vision of what awaits you after death, you're selling yourself so far short. Right? So far short. And listen, I would love every single day to start off with a peaceful cup of coffee, nothing but nature surrounding me, go for a round of golf after that, and then lace up the skates and skate on that eternal, glorious sea 
uh, crystal sea of ice, right? Like, but I don't need a bit of that if I have Jesus. I don't. The aim is with him. His dwelling happens to be paradise. I'll be there with him, but the aim is with him. Jesus is told by this criminal that he's going to get what he's begging for, that he's going to be remembered, and that he's going to be with Jesus. This is a glorious, good thing. It is a very, very, very good thing that he has promised, and he has promised this based on grace and grace alone. And we see that most poignantly in the difference between these two criminals. Let's back up a little bit. Verse 39, one of the criminals who were hanged, same word for crucified, railed at him saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him saying, Do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And Jesus said, or and he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. <clears throat> this first criminal. <laughs> he says, Save me. That's what he's saying. He's saying, Jesus, get me out of here. He's saying, What? I, I don't deserve this. Rescue my life. The second, he just says, remember me. In this words, we see this confession. If you don't remember me, I'm hopeless. In this confession, we see this. I get it. I deserve it. I, I do not have any right to claim a rescue at this moment in my life. I mean, this is deathbed confession of all deathbeds, Right? I know I'm a goner. The only hope I have is you. One says, rescue me. The other says, remember me. And listen, and I know we're all at various stages of this, finding ourselves in some sort of predicament. You may be in a very serious predicament, or you may be coming out of one, or you may be in the light predicament of simply being alive on a filthy planet, right? Whether it's emotional or physical distress that we feel, whether there's relational breaking in our life or there's unbearable financial pressure or even if we're on the doorstep of death itself and your response is like the first criminal, right? Hey, Jesus, get me... Get me out of here! What is going on I don't deserve this right if, when that's our response in trouble if that's our response in trouble then I think maybe we've missed something I think maybe we've missed what Jesus is really 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 all about because we're convinced that Jesus is really really only about earthly present deliverance from trouble. 
We think Jesus is really, really only about making sure that I appear innocent before the eyes of everyone else. Right? That, that I get my vindication before them dogs. <laughs> right? And I, I have been, I am now, and I probably forever will be in this spot where there are accurate assumptions and uh, blame, blaming against me and my character. Okay? There are people, and I, I'm assuming you're with me, there are people that think bad things about you. The one criminal says, Jesus, erase this earthly stain and make me innocent before the courts and get me out of the penalty, right? Some of our view of Jesus is, Jesus, get me in the good graces of everyone. Erase these bad things that everybody thinks about me or that anybody thinks about me, right? And I find myself, I did it just this week, I find myself in the position where I want to defend my good name against the verbal assaults of anyone who would dare come against me, right? I, like, I feel that deep in me. Well, you don't really know the whole story, right? You don't, you're only seeing one side. You don't really get, well, you don't know what they did too. I do this. When all the while Jesus wants to move me into the humble position of the second criminal to say, you're right. And there's no excuse. I'm weak. Sometimes purposely. Sometimes just unconsciously. Many times because I'm just simply full of more flaws than I even sometimes want to admit. I wrong people hurt people. I, I break things. And I don't come to Jesus to get me out of the predicament of what being a sinner has put me in. I get to Jesus to forgive me for the real mess that I've actually made. Right? So whatever this stuff is that our lives are filled with, we're prone to think if Jesus is really Jesus, he'll, he'll get my name in the good category again. Or he'll get my body in the good category again. He'll get my life back in the favorable paradise on earth place again. And Jesus, Jesus never came for that kind of deliverance, right? It's a brutal and difficult truth. And I'm not saying any of this lightly, but you see, Jesus didn't go to the cross to get the criminal down from his. That wasn't the point, right? And so the one who thought that was the point missed it. 
the one who realized that wasn't the point, got it. Because for both of these criminals, the wages of sin was death. I've done wrong. My wrong deserves a penalty. And in some ways, on this earth, that penalty is going to be meted out. Right? I've gotten myself into trouble, and I'm going to have to face the music there. I've wounded people. I've hurt people. Sometimes intentionally, because of malice, and I have a dark heart. Sometimes unintentionally, because I'm just filled with sin. Right? For some of us, we have larger-than-life personalities, and we just freaking bulldoze people. Right? Because it's just some of our sin. Some of us are prone to utter apathy. And so we leave people in the lurch. And it's just because of, it's just we're riddled with sin. Sometimes we just, we're walking and we kick people. Right? It's just, a, it's just a part of our life. And Jesus isn't saying, okay, you never did anything. You never hurt anyone. No, he's saying you don't have to pay the ultimate price for that. But here on earth, face the music. Adjoin your heart with criminal too and say, I, I deserve it. This is the only way. We talked about this last week. This is the only way you're going to find restitution in relationships in your life when you come clean and you say, I deserve it. And you don't demand from them something that you're not willing yourself to give. To own the sin. To say, I, I get it, you're right, and I can't erase that. I, I can't erase that. To God, my sin is erased and forgotten. To many of the people on this earth, it'll be long remembered. And it's not the call of the Christian to go to those people and to just say, I'm forgiven, and walk flippantly away. Okay, I know this is heavy. But to really grasp the gospel, we need to align ourselves with the right criminal. Because I'm pretty sure the first criminal missed it. I'm pretty sure he missed it. What makes this second criminal worthy, I put that word in quotes because we all understand it's not worthy, okay? But what makes him worthy of hearing these words from Jesus is that he is realizing that he deserves this penalty, right? He is realizing that he deserves the penalty of death on the cross. He knows that he doesn't deserve what he's asking for. He knows that he doesn't deserve what he's asking for. Right? And I think the closer that we get to heaven, the more we realize how undeserving we are of it. I think when the gospel does its work in the hearts of women and men, we grow more humble, more recognizing the fact that we are less worthy than we ever imagined, right? I've been to deathbeds 
and I've heard fear in people based on unworthiness. And my job as a pastor at that very moment in time is to say, not this. Oh, no, 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 no. You didn't really do anything bad. Never. Never what I say. My job at that moment is to say, yes, you are unworthy, but you need not fear. For it is the humble, unworthy confession. Jesus, you alone are worthy. That opens the floodgates of heaven. Jesus, you alone are worthy. That's the conviction of criminal number two. Jesus, you alone are worthy. You alone. Right? Looking across past Jesus to the other criminal. Are you kidding me, man? Are you kidding me right now? Do you not see the holiness of God? That's what he says. Do you not fear? Do you not see that we fall so far short, but this man alone does not? This is the confession of the gospel from a very, very, very bad man. And the floodgates of heaven are open. And so just as much as Jesus did not go to the cross to get a criminal down from his, so too Jesus did go to the cross to give a criminal hope beyond his. Right? Jesus did go to the cross not to give the criminal hope of getting down, but to give the criminal hope of what will come after he gets what his sins deserved. Because after, guess what? He doesn't get what his sins deserved. After we close our eyes in death, we don't get what we deserve. After it's all said and done, and we recognize the only worthy one is Christ, we get the reward that Jesus gave up so that he could go to the cross that we deserved, right? That's the great exchange of 2 Corinthians 5.21, the glorious reality that Kelly read this morning, that he who knew no sin became it for us so that we could become the righteousness of God. This is a hard place often for those of us who haven't really hit the bottom to get to, okay? It, it can be hard to get there because we're sold and told and, 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 and the message is coming to us again and again that we are worthy of good things, that we do deserve good things, right? If you've ever worked in customer service, you know the greatest evil that you could ever encounter is somebody at a store who believes they deserve something, Oh, dear God, don't get in the way of that, right? They will tear you to shreds. Are you telling me that I don't? Woo, right? Like the customer's always right has bred just a deep heart of entitlement in our souls. And we think we deserve it, right? It's, it's just, so, so then those who know that they don't deserve, man, I tell you, there's just some glorious gospel stuff. that I've had the privilege of going to like detention centers and, and prisons. I don't know if you've ever sat at the glass and talked on the phone thing between people. Like, whew, there's something about when Jesus says, when you visited people in prison, you visited me, right? Because that moment is divine. 
when you sit before a convicted criminal who knows they're getting what they deserve, who is afraid at that very moment that when they turn around and walk out of that room, they could die. That person, not all the time, but many times, that person has a humility to say, there's only one who's worthy. When I've seen Jesus rescue the soul of a con, I've seen the glory of the gospel take hold. One of me and my wife's best friends that lived when we lived in Illinois was, was an ex-con, spent 20 years in, uh, state, in the state pen. He had hired somebody to murder his wife. And it happened. He knew he deserved to be there. And when he got out, because of the regimen of prison, he could never sleep past about 5 o'clock in the morning. Every morning, middle of Springfield, Illinois, he would take his lawn chair, put it out on the front yard, sit down, and drink coffee for an hour, just because he could. The freedom that that man tasted and the grace that he extended to people was just glorious because he knew he didn't deserve to sit on that lawn with his cup of coffee. It wasn't even that nice of a lawn. It wasn't even anything better than Folgers, but he knew he didn't deserve it. And it changed everything about the way he lived for people and for Jesus. I read a story recently about an ex-gang member who was rescued by Jesus from his life of crime. And he said, Jesus loved me when I didn't even deserve the love of my mother. Right? That's how great the love of Jesus was to a criminal who knew what he really deserved. And this is the transformative nature of what God can do in our hearts. And it's really one of the central matters of all of Christian teaching, right? That one day you will stand before God and like this naked criminal hanging on a tree, you will be seen for everything that you are. Every deed, every word, ready for this? Every thought, every attitude, every omission, every time you should have done something and you didn't do it, everything will be seen. Not just, not by people. So what, people? By God. All seen. Right? Every single last thing. And if anyone were to look on you, they would say, she deserves hell. I know it's blunt, but that's the message of not just the story, but the scripture. That when we'll finally be totally seen, there will be no human being in their right mind that would think they're not vile. That it just, right? It's going to be all uncut. Like, I've got an amazing and close relationship with my wife, and there's, there's not a chance she knows all of that stuff. Not a chance, man. I don't even know all of that stuff. I'm so oblivious to some of my rottenness, but on that day, I'm going to see it all. <laughs> God will see it all. And at that moment, I'm not going to say, come on, God, give me. On my knees on my knees and I will beg for mercy <laughs> and Jesus is going to give it to me 
Jesus will stand in the place of my sin. He will say, already paid for, Father. He's one of ours. He can be with us. He's clean. He's washed. He's forgiven. And at that moment, without merit, we'll be admitted into the perfect presence of an all-holy, all-powerful God. Tim Keller says the distinction that Jesus recognizes is not between the good and the bad. The only distinction that divides humanity now is between the proud and the humble. Are you willing to say, Lord Jesus, I am not worthy. You don't owe me a good life. You don't. You owe me nothing but wrath. The minute that happens, he rushes in. But if you say, you owe me a good life, that's the minute that he says, I have not come for you. That's, that's the gospel. I don't deserve this. Yes! You alone should not die, Jesus. Yes! There is one worthy one, and it's not me. Yes! And listen, this conviction, this alignment with criminal number two is the very thing that will release you and empower you and enable you to forgive everyone from deep in your heart. Because they deserve it? No! Because you got what you don't deserve, so now you dole out what they don't deserve. Freely, abundantly, repeatedly. How many times, Jesus? Seven times in a day? No, I tell you, 70 times seven, a.k.a. infinity. From this position, from this promise of paradise, I have no basis for holding you accountable and making you pay for what you've done to me. I can tell you what your sin is to help your eyes come open so that you will stop being like criminal number one and start being like criminal number two, but I never, ever have the right of holding it over you. Right? This is Christian community, man. This is the church. This is why this place should taste of freedom and it should be so distinct from anything else that people walk through all week long. Are you kidding? I know there's history here. Right? I hope that can be perceived. I know there's history here. That guy has every reason to look at that woman and say, you're not worthy. But he's not doing it. What is, what is going on here? What is, do people know who that person really is? Are they seriously not counting any of her deeds against her? You're kidding me. What kind of place is this? <laughs> Welcome to the kingdom, right? I know what that person has done. I know, and so do I. And so does Jesus. It doesn't mean we're excusing our lives, but it means we're taking forgiveness that is given by the only worthy one, and we're doling it out just totally freely, right? So we don't have to 
listen, I've got, I've got many, and I've sinned against all of you, some of you much more fierce than others, and I've got many real apologies that I still haven't made, right? You probably do too. We've got friction that if we are honest about it, even though we want to fight back and say, it's you, it's you, it's you, if we look deep inside, we'll realize, yeah, yeah, it's me. Not the only contributor, but I certainly know I'm a contributor. I've added to this mess again and again. And I'm not asking for this relationship to be healed based on the fact that I didn't really do that. I'm asking for this relationship to be healed based on the fact that both of us have done that and Jesus isn't holding it against us. That's what will repair us. That's what will mend us. Maybe it can happen today. Maybe it's a couple months off. Maybe it's some years off. But that's what I want to pursue. I'm not worthy. I've gotten what I deserve. This relational friction is my fault. I have contributed to the brokenness of the world. Then we can offer real reconciliation. Finally, I'm, I'm convinced. I talked with Mike about this at lunch a little while ago. Luke's gospel is part of the basis for my conviction here. I believe the eternal kingdom of Jesus will be chock full of people we never thought we'd see there. Chock full. Is that still the same? Very, very, very full. Of people we thought never, never in a million years. Can you imagine Stephen's surprise? Can you imagine Stephen, the first martyr? You know the story? He's getting stoned, killed by a crowd. The people in the crowd are taking off their jackets and handing them to Paul, Saul of Tarsus. Stoning was an intimate affair. It wasn't like he was, you know, from a pitcher's mound away. It was right there. Stephen watched Saul condone his murdering. Stephen looked up to heaven and died. I don't know if it's happened yet. I don't know the whole space-time continuum thing or whatever. But Saul and Stephen abide in the same eternal dwelling. Can you imagine the shock on Stephen's face when he saw Saul. I'm convinced that heaven will be chock full of people that we think don't deserve to be there. And when it happens, it'll make sense because we too finally fully realize how we don't deserve to be there. And so we'll go, well, of course. <laughs> You're in two. I, I, I didn't do anything to get here. Sure, I, mean, I know you didn't do anything to do, but I, I really didn't do anything. You're here. Why? Revelation finishes it beautifully. Revelation 5, 11 through 12. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the Lamb. There's only one worthy resident in paradise, and it's Jesus. 
Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. This is Jesus, the Lamb of God on the cross between two criminals, the one who was slain for you and me. May we finally see that he alone is undeserving of that penalty and that we are deserving of it. And in that moment, finally realize who's really worthy of heaven. And drop to our knees and just scream, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. How in the heck am I here? How is this true? How do I sit here forgiven? How is this even possible that the one who knows everything has welcomed me home? He alone is worthy, and I am not. This is the gospel, and it's glorious. And Jesus promised to you the humble at heart who say, Jesus, I'm not worthy. His assured promise is today, right? Instant, right after this. There is nothing coming between you and me. his promise, based only on the merits of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, how glorious, how marvelous, how wonderful, how loving, how gracious, how good, how kind, how merciful you are that you sent your only begotten son down here to die my death, the one I deserved based on all that I've done so that I could hear the words, you will be with me. This is staggering. Father, level our hearts again. Rend our spirits. Lord, I... There are many amends that I should pay. There are innumerable mistakes that I ought to own. And while I don't get to escape some of the pain here on earth, you've guaranteed by that humility which comes from the Spirit, by that confession that you alone are worthy. Only by that can I have confidence that I will be with you. So Jesus, just move me closer to the heart of criminal too. Move me nearer to the confession of what I deserve to the recognition of what I truly deserve. And then wrap me up. Wrap us up. Comfort us in the sure promise of your word that yes, you have taken ownership of us. You've taken our wrongs and you've given us your rights. This is the glorious good news of the gospel. And we thank you for it. In Christ's name, amen.